Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the podcast. My name is Tracy Smith, and the purpose of these podcasts is to try and help people of all walks of life understand that in the crazy times, in the crazy world that we are currently living in, building and maintaining a solid relationship with Christ is essential to our well-being. But at the same time, it doesn't have to be as complicated as we make it out to be. In fact, I'd tell you that it was the easiest and most natural thing you will ever do. You were made to love God. God created you for fellowship. So let's get started. During the last podcast, I spoke about giants in our life and what God does to prepare us to battle against them like he did David with Goliath. Today, I want to talk to you about some of the things that may happen after the victory, after you've had a victory with your giant. See, David's story didn't end when he defeated Goliath. In fact, you could say that his life and his struggles were only just beginning. We'll cover some of those struggles and how they relate to our lives, as well as what we can and should learn from them. I have one more message that I'll do after this one, and that one will be about David's struggles once he became king, once complacency set in. Even though he was a man after God's own heart, he was very much a human being just like us. And just like us, he made a lot of mistakes. I'll begin reading today in 1 Samuel again, chapter 18, beginning in verse 5. To set it up, though, remember that Saul had called David back into the palace, and he had asked him who his father was. See, even though he had worked for him for a long time, Saul didn't remember who Jesse was. When he was done speaking with him, Saul's own son, Jonathan, who recognized what was happening, made a pact with David and took his own royal clothes and put them on him. And that brings us to verse 5. It says, Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousand. wonder how that made King Saul feel. Once David killed the giant, You would have thought that his life would have been all downhill from there, right? We know that nothing could be further from the truth, though. David's real trials were just getting started. The fight he went through with Goliath would would seem like child's play compared to the trials he was about to go through. Very often when we stand up and fight for God, when we stand up and fight for what's right, whether we want to or not, we find ourselves in positions to lead others. That's what happened to David, right? As he became victorious in his personal life, he was released as a leader and new and even bigger giants emerged. Each of the challenges David faced were preparing him for the future. I've said it before, but I want you to know the things you're going through today, the processes that I spoke about before, are to help us prepare for future endeavors. Like David, you and I are not just called to be a kingdom of priests on earth. 
That would be far too easy on you and I. The calling is much larger than that. It's much bigger than that. We are called to lead and disciple others, aren't we? It's what the Bible tells us we're supposed to do. I'm telling you all this because I need you to understand that your life will not get easier just because you love God and he loves you. Just because you're on the path that God tells you to be on doesn't mean it's going to be easy. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us the opposite. But as God begins to entrust his people into your care, he will put more difficult situations in your path. The bigger the battle, the greater the need for our faith. The bigger the battle, the deeper our trust has to be. During these times, incredible growth in God is inevitable. But we can't get discouraged and give up. We have to remember that the greater the call on our lives, the greater the trials, and even more important, the greater the victory. I'm also wanting you to know this. After a victory over a giant in our life, many of us will find it incredibly hard to remain humble. We have to understand that it is those who have been given and brought to the greatest heights who are at the greatest risk of falling. We must always remember that in this life, you can fall at any time from any level. It's when you think that you're the least vulnerable that you are in fact the most at risk. I also want to point out something else about human nature that you probably already know. Many times after God brings us a victory, we want to take ownership of that victory. When we do this, we are essentially rejecting the work of God. I won't mention any names, but I'd be willing to bet that all of us could think of someone who had been lifted up to great heights by the hand of God, only to fall hard because of the pride of man. See, they got entitled. They felt entitled to the blessing. An entitlement mentality has been the greatest downfall of many of God's great leaders. Think about what happened to Saul. He felt entitled to keep the best of the possessions of the Malachites in spite of God's clear command to destroy everything and everyone. God gave him the victory, but Saul felt like he deserved the best for himself. When Samuel came, Saul felt great. He was on top of the world because he had done what God said, and in his mind he had won the battle. What Saul failed to realize was that the victory was always his. But in his disobedience, he was nothing but defeated. Look at what Samuel said to him in 1 Samuel 15, verses 17 through 19. It says, although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, Go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? Until this victory, Saul had been humble. But he failed the post-victory test, and he was no longer small in his own eyes. You ever seen that happen before? See, once this happened, instead of victories being about his obedience to God, 
The victories became about what he would win or what he would lose. When that happened, Saul could no longer trust God for a victory over a giant. His own pride told him that he no longer needed God, that he could secure a victory on his own. I also want to point out here that we never know the impact our pride or disobedience will have on the future. See, God sent Saul to destroy the Amalekites, but he didn't. He allowed some of the descendants of Agag to live. The Bible tells us in Esther that generations and centuries later, Haman the Agagite nearly succeeded in annihilating the entire Jewish race. God had a reason for wanting Saul to destroy the Agagites, but his pride and entitlement mentality kept him from obeying God. I won't keep going here. I think you get my point, but I will say this. After a victory, something inside of us tells us we've made it. And something inside of our head tells us that we deserve what is offered to us. While God does indeed love to bless and reward his people, we must be extremely careful not to take ownership of the blessing or to have an entitlement mentality. It was the downfall of Saul and it was the downfall of Satan. We would be wise to let both of those be examples of what not to do. I want to speak to you about something many of you may know about or have experienced. It's, it's called the desert experience. 22 years. That's approximately the time between the day Samuel anointed David to be king and the time that he stepped into the role. And during a large portion of that time, David was going through the desert experience. See, what that is, is a period of time that we might go through where the trial is long and hard, and it feels like God is far, far away from us. The desert is characterized by uncertainty, meaning the end is simply not in sight. We don't know when it's going to end. I'd be willing to bet you've probably gone through this yourself and know about it firsthand. What you may not know, though, is that this experience is very often a part of the spiritual journey that God takes us through for a greater purpose. Most, if not all, of God's leaders seem to have experienced this season in, her li in their lives. I mention this because I feel like it's really important to know that even in our desert experience, we will get to experience victory. God takes us through these times in our lives because he's producing something inside of us that cannot be grown in any other condition. Something of the, some of the most beautiful plants in the world are produced in desert climates. Most of the plants you see around here could not survive the desert. And in fact, the plants that grow there would simply not grow here. The environment that these plants thrive in develop a character in them that could not be formed in any other place or any other way. See, I think it's important for us to know that these trials we are talking about are sent from God. I think there's an unfortunate trend in the church today to ignore these trials or to see them as being some sort of punishment due to a lack of faith. 
We have a lot of churches across the United States that have become bless me clubs. You know what I'm talking about? These clubs give God the praise for all the blessings and they blame Satan for all the bad things or they blame your sin for all the bad things that happen to you. All the trials and tribulations are because of something you've done. I'm sure that you've heard of the prosperity gospel, haven't you? Now, I'm not saying that I believe that everything they teach is wrong because I don't. But I do believe they're teaching people a skewed version of how God wants to bless us. People are being taught that all chocolate bars are from God and that all the cavities and the extra pounds we put on is from the devil. Let's face it. Some of God's biggest and best blessings come from the adversity that we go through. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says in chapter 12, verse 7 through 11. He says this about God's fatherly love. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of our father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us, so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. In other words, going through tough times produces something good in us that cannot be formed under any other circumstances. Many people in today's times, they want God, but they want him on, his, on their terms, right? They want the God that too many TV preachers promote. Most would never have followed the God that the Bible teaches us about. Not too many of the megachurch pastors or the self-help motivational pastors will tell you that Jesus had no money and he was homeless. They won't tell you that he had to borrow a coin for an illustration and perform a miracle so that he and Peter could pay taxes. They don't talk about Paul's sufferings and his nakedness and the times that despite not having any money, he still freely preached the gospel. We forget that the scriptures tell us that Peter and John did not have gold and silver, but they did have the Spirit of God. And through that, they man made the man walk again. It was It's not prosperous to teach about John the Baptist who ended up eating bugs and wearing camel skin for nearly his entire life. Who in the world would want to be him? John didn't cash in his inheritance and leave the big city lights and go stay in the desert. According to Luke's gospel, John lived in the desert until he appeared publicly in Israel. Honestly, very few people in the Bible witness the kind of prosperity that the people in the church expect to see today. Hebrews 11.13 tells us this, The ancients of faith never received what was promised them. 
They only saw it at a distance. You got to stop and ask yourself, why is there so much teaching on the blessings of God these days when Jesus himself seemed to have been poor and homeless? The answer, my friend, is human nature. It's our own selfishness. It's our own greed. The people of the world have got to know that the God of the Bible is not Santa Claus. We don't get presents or blessings just because we stay off his naughty list. Quite the contrary. Look at what Jesus says in John 15, 20. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, then they would listen to you. Truth be told, very often, the closer our walk with God, the greater the persecution. Are you ready? See, we have a generation of believers that's being indoctrinated into a blessing mentality. When things don't go their way, they simply walk away. They didn't sign up for the desert. They weren't told about the cost. I believe the fear is that if they had been told about the cost, they might go looking for a different church. Jesus clearly tells us in Luke to count the cost of following him. The cost is great, but the reward, the eternal reward, is far greater. When Jesus was speaking about John in Luke 7, he told them that John was not a reed swayed by the wind. He told them that if they were to find someone dressed in fine clothes, that they would have to go to a palace it would not be found in the desert. If our only desire as Christians is to have expensive clothes to wear to a super nice church, then we are serving the God of the world and not the God of creation. It is true that God wants to bless his people, but it's not always the way we want to be blessed. It is true that if we're willing to die to ourselves, then he will resurrect our body. It is true that in our sufferings, he has a wonderful purpose for us. It is true to the extent that we may spend years in the desert, but God will do a deep work in us during that time. Parents who love their children do not bless them with candy bars every time they ask them. The blessings from God will come it may be in eternity and not while we're here on earth, but they will come because he has promised them to us. Think for a second about David. Does the Bible say that David was blessed? Does the Bible say that David was a man after God's own heart? Do you think God blessed him for being obedient? I'd say yes. David wrote Psalms 23, or the 23rd Psalm, right? David speaks of green pastures of rest, and he speaks of lying by still waters. But what did he call the valleys that he had to walk through? He called them shadow of death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Does that sound blessed? David was one of the most blessed men in the Bible, yet for most of his life, he was under constant threat. David spent a lot of time in the desert, didn't he? 
Saul, on the other hand, spent very little time in the desert, and it wasn't very long before he went off course and he paid dearly for his mistakes. Because Saul was so quickly blessed by being a king, he just as quickly lost sight of who put him there. On the other hand, the desert or his trials and tribulations produced in David an awareness of his absolute need for God. See, the desert is where we grow. Moses spent 40 years in the desert before God supernaturally appeared to him in the burning bush. Think about the story of Hagar and Ishmael. They had been forced into the desert by Sarah. When they ran out of water, the Bible tells us that she put Ishmael under a bush because she couldn't bear to see him die. In this moment of sheer hopelessness, in the middle of the desert, God opened her eyes to see a well of water that seems to have been there the entire time. Hagar had come to the end of herself before she could see what was always there. The Bible clearly tells us that in our weakness, he is strong. God begins where our own abilities stop. Unfortunately, sometimes it's only a desert experience that will allow us to see it, though. I want to end the podcast by putting this thought in your mind. Look back at your life and think about all the times you've reached what you thought was the end of your rope. Only to find God waiting there. Can you count how many times that God alone has brought the victory in your life? I can't. Many times the biggest giants most of us will ever face are the deserts that we'll go through. If so, if you find yourself there, if you find yourself in the desert, please know that it is not because you've been rejected or abandoned by God. Think about how a young child learns to walk. They fall down a lot, don't they? As a parent or guardian, as much as it hurts, we have to allow them the opportunity to learn. Even though we know that there is a big risk of them hurting themselves when they fall, So during your trials and tribulations, God is taking you from crawling to walking. The only way God can do that is to stand at a distance and let you try to walk. You have to fall down. You will fall down. Once you fall, though, you're going to be discouraged. You're going to be disillusioned because you're going to feel like your father is nowhere around. You're going to feel like God has left you. In time, though, you'll get up and walk. In time, you'll start running. Paul says in Philippians 3, 13 and 14, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. So listen. Stay humble. Stay focused. But most of all, stay very, very clear on where your strength comes from. Thank you for listening and God bless.